high quality right now, right? So it's good and loud for you all. Uh, be turning over to Revelation chapter 3. This will be the last of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Not the last of our theme, that being a new normal. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the Staten Island Church. But the last of these six churches that we are, seven churches we're looking at here. You know, a lot of times you will hear in the news of certain viruses coming. We, we have them from time to time. And through history, even just in the past hundred years, there have been some really terrifying viruses. You go back to uh, uh, 1917, 1918, the Great Influenza. They never did get a final estimate, but it was somewhere between 50 and 100 million people worldwide that it went and, and killed. 37,000 died in New York City alone from that. You read, of course, the Ebola virus and the recent outbreak we had there in Africa. Thank the Lord it was contained. And then, you know, the HIV virus, and on and on and on. And, and, and the thing about these viruses is, of course, you know, the end result, too often, is death. It ends everything that we are and we hope to be, and that's why it's so dangerous, and that's why you want to attack it quick. You don't just think, well, maybe it'll just get better. You don't do that with these yeah. viruses. You figure out what needs to get done, and you do it quick. But one of the most dangerous things about some of these viruses is the fact that you can actually contract the virus and have no symptoms initially. You, you don't even know you have the virus until all of a sudden it becomes symptomatic and things start happening. But you were already infected. You know, it's not like a broken bone. At least when you break a bone, you know I need to go get attention immediately, and it gets addressed immediately. The thing about viruses, they're insidious, and I could be infected now, but I'm okay. Two days from now, I may be burning up a fever on my deathbed. So that's why there's always this seriousness about containing. You do not treat it lightly. You do not just hope it goes away. The end result is too drastic to do that. In Revelation chapter 3, I want to talk about a virus that is just as lethal, but it's a spiritual virus. And I want us to read what the Spirit says to the church at Laodicea, and subsequently what the Spirit says to the church here in Staten Island. Verse 14, Revelation 3. To the angel of the church at Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I am acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, anyone, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A lethal virus. It's called lukewarmness. And the problem with that is it's not as obvious as overt rebellion and defiance to God. Shaking a fist in God's face, you know, profanity toward God. This is the insidious one. But I want you to know something, as lethal and deadly as this is, with Christ there's always hope. If these people were beyond hope, he wouldn't have said, look, be earnest and repent. No, repentance is not going to help you. You're gone. No, but he says, be earnest and repent. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with them. It doesn't matter past record. It doesn't matter how lukewarm you've been. There is always hope. But you've got to be serious about this. And there are a couple of things I want us in Staten Island, some questions that we need to answer. Number one, what is lukewarmness? How do we define that? It's interesting. According to John R.W. Stott, the two words there, I wish you were either hot or cold, are not just kind of, you know, a little bit hot, a little bit cold. They are the extreme word. I wish you were either boiling or ice. That's what he's talking about. I wish you would be extreme. It's not like lukewarmness is somewhere. I'm not quite that boiling, you know. I'm not quite that hot. No, he's talking about boiling. That's what he's looking for. Or the opposite is ice. So what is lukewarmness? Lukewarmness is lack of whole heart. It's a lack of wholeheartedness. It's a lack of effort and lack of focus. It is the, the person that comes to the point, I'm settled. I've settled. I'm good enough. And they settle. And the interesting thing, one of the things that's so dangerous and deceiving about it, is that if you're lukewarm right now, you may be boiling compared to what you were when you first became a Christian. Where you are right now might be the boiling point of when you first became a Christian. But after years go by, you kind of get to a point, you understand things, you can do things, so now you just settle. There's no growth anymore. And we look back and say, well, you know, I mean, when I was a young person, I wanted to get to this point. But then you stop. What would we do physically? If we had a child that grew physically to 10 years old and then stopped. We got problems. But Daniel... He's 10 years old. He's no longer 3 or 2. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great? He's no longer 4 or 5. I mean, look how far he's gotten. Wow. Amen. He's no longer all that. That you can rejoice in that. If 12 years ago and he's still at a 10-year physical development, what are you doing? You're going into the doctor and saying, what can we do? You don't just say, well, I hope it all works out. And sometimes we get to a point in our life, we think, well, this is really being boiling. No, it's not. You settle. It might have been boiling when you first became a Christian, but after 10 years, what happened? 
And that's a church in Laodicea here. Lukewarmness is lack of wholeheartedness. You see it in lack of effort. You see it in lack of focus. So Jesus addresses this. Second question, what's the big deal? That's kind of a harsh thing he says. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I mean, this is the same Christ that says, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy labored and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's the same exact person. It is the same person who used to walk, and when there would be a leper, say, Lord, please heal me. He wouldn't just speak it. He would touch him. Because he wanted him to have what he really needed was that emotional connection and that feel of human touch. Singing Jesus. And he says he's nauseous here. Does he hate these people? No, he doesn't hate them. He doesn't hate them. But this is revolting to him. It is revolting. Why? Why? What's the big deal? Jesus, why don't you just say, Jesus, why don't you just say, uh, hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you guys. I wouldn't sell if I were you. You know, you can always do better. Why not? Why does he say, you need ice or you're boiling. You're in between. You are lukewarm and I am sick. Why such a visceral and deep reaction? Number one, it's an insult to God. And brothers and sisters, let's just talk here for just a second. I believe that our lives reflect what we believe. <laughs> what we believe about God. You cannot divorce that. You cannot divorce that. As limited of your view of God, so goes your life. As lukewarm as your view of God, so goes your life. Why does it nauseate Jesus? Because God is worth more than that. God is worth our very best. God is amazing. And those who come to Him ought to experience that amazement. They get to walk. We get to walk with Him over and over and over again. This is not about weakness. I've seen weak people that are wholehearted. They're boiling. You know what they're doing? They're saying, man, I'm weak. I really blew it. I've been messed up. Help me, brother. Help me, sister. What do I need to do? Do you see the focus? Do you see the effort? Boiling. And yet they're weak. So we're not talking about weakness here. But we are talking about our lives, what they say about God. I want you to uh, just listen to this. Um, I want to read from Sam Lang's book, Warrior. The men have been studying this at midweek. And so, talking about the men being a warrior, fighting that battle of the man you are and the man you ought to be, and fighting whatever battle that hinders you to get there. And listen to what he says about this. Superficiality is one of the greatest reasons men, and I'm going to put, and women, have lost their warrior spirit, or have become warriors in the wrong cause. We simply cannot be warriors for God unless He has our whole heart, unless He is our first and greatest love. More than our career, our wife, our children, and yes, even our own selves, God must be the greatest passion in life. And why is that? Why does God need to be the greatest love in our hearts? The answer is simple as it is profound. 
Because He alone is worthy. God is our creator. He is our life giver. He is the source of everything. If we put Him first, the other loves and priorities in our lives sort out just fine. We still love our wives, our friends, our families, our lives. But we understand where they all came from. And we love the giver more than we love the gifts. When we love the giver, first of all, then we are free to love his gifts with a fervent love that is ordered in its proper place. God alone is worth it. He is worthy of my whole heart. He is worthy of my focus, my effort. He is worthy of me doing away with all excuses. He is worthy. I don't care if people didn't treat me right. I don't care. I'm responsible for my response. And I don't need to be a slave to anyone's abusive talk or things like that. I need to do what I need to do to get out of that. But then I am accountable to God to be boiling. And that's a decision. It's not a matter of talent, strength, or anything. It's a decision. But it's a decision that comes from who God is. Is he worth it? I've always encouraged people. I mean, one thing I, I hate to see is people suffer. Do something they really don't believe in. I always want as many people as possible to follow Jesus. I believe salvation is in him alone. And so I call that, please, come follow him, I'll do it. But I tell you what, if you don't believe him, if you don't believe in who he is, if you don't believe that God is worth everything you are, you hope to be, then do yourself a favor. Do something else. Because you're going to suffer. You're going to sit here insulting Him and the whole time not being connected. You know, this isn't just a New Testament thing. Look at something here in Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3. Verses 6. Through 11. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you done, I'm sorry, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? Okay, now, now keep in mind, this is after Israel has ceased, the northern ten tribes have ceased to exist. Because of their perpetual, continual rebellion against God for hundreds of years, the Assyrian army was allowed to come in and take them all off. 722. So all that remains was called Judah. The, the, the other two, you know, Benjamin and Judah uh, tribes. Listen to what God is telling Jeremiah to the citizens of Judah, the remaining. Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery, all right? Israel went after all these other gods, so God says, okay, if you choose them, they're yours, and the Assyrians came in and took them over. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. 
Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of this, her unfaithful Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Judah's supposed to be the people of God. He says, you know, Israel was just going around. She was sleeping around spiritually with anyone and everyone. You know, God kept trying to call her back, prophets, everyone. No, 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 we're going after this. Judah starts doing it. And Jeremiah says, didn't you learn the lesson from Israel? Didn't you learn the lesson? In fact, here, Judah, you're doing it after you've seen what happened to Israel. You've seen that. You're doing it, but you still come to me in pretense. Oh, they're offering sacrifices. They're keeping the holy days. They're doing that. But their heart is gone. They are lukewarm. And he says, you come to me in pretense. It's all fake. It's all show. And then he says this, and this is a clincher. Faithless Judah, Israel is more righteous. Then Judah. Faith is Israel's gone. They're bound down to anything and everything. Wood, stone, you name it. But he says, at least they're not playing the game. One thing, if you are icy cold, there's a chance you will never see God again. But there's also a chance, at least you won't deceive yourself and think you're doing well. <laughs> so there's some hope in that, that you might come to your senses and go, wow, what have I done? I'm sorry. Boom. The lukewarm person doesn't see that. Lukewarm, lukewarm person looking at the ice cold person going, man, at least I'm not like that. And the ice cold person, atheist, doesn't care about God, anything, anyone else. At least they're more true to their words statement than the lukewarm. And that's why God says, even Israel's more faithful righteous than Judah. It's always been an insult to him. Now I want us to just stop and think here a second. I know this is serious and I have no apology for seriousness because I didn't write it. But I'll tell you this, guys. Dead serious. God is worth a lot more than some little attempt to serve if he's not, we are the biggest fools in the world. What in the world are we doing? He's worth everything. That is who he is. And the weakest among us, the person that's fallen the most times, you can still honor him by saying, God have mercy, what can I do? That's wholeheartedness right there. Lord, I want to repent, what can I do? Brother, sister, can you help me? I've got to... See, wow, look at the effort. Look at the focus. Look at the wholeheartedness. Look at the boiling water. But to just stay there, it's an insult. Is there any wonder why Jesus just, I can't deal with that. It's intolerable. But not only is it an insult to God, it's an insult to yourself. In 1 Peter 2.9, says, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
of people belonging. That's who you are. That's your bio. That's what you write. You know, who are you? This is who you are. Chosen by God. Royal priesthood. One that stands between God and others as a conduit to give them the good news. Not to atone for their sins, but we minister to people on behalf of God because God is a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We're not just normal like the world's normal. We're God's this is who we are. And we belong to God. And yet when we are not wholehearted, we insult ourselves. We're better than that. We are better than that. We were created to be better than that. Jesus died for us to be better than that. But Sheridan is no, one per no one's perfect. You're absolutely right. And no one will be perfect until they see God. But you can be wholehearted. And in your wholeheartedness, you willingly come into the light about your imperfections. Because to you, it's not a statement of past fail, am I good enough? To you, it's about growing. It's about God being great and His grace being wonderful. And I get to be free and I get to change. But I've got to be wholehearted. I don't want to insult myself. I've been created for better than that. Something I find very true, again, the way I think about myself, my life, will reflect that. Lastly, it's a big deal because it's an insult not only to God, not only to me, it's an insult to others. Jesus said, in Matthew 5, right around verses 14 through 16, says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now it's interesting, Jesus said he's the light of the world. But he turns to his disciples, you guys, you're the light of the world. Lord, me, oh my goodness, come on. No, that's the glory of it all. God can take an imperfect person who's just, has a lot of things to deal with, and use that person and show what he can do in the life of a human being. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the one that God is using to reach out and make a statement to the rest of the world. When I am lukewarm, it's an insult to other people. Proverbs 13, verse 12, says that hope deferred makes the heart what? Sick. Sick. Hope deferred. You hear someone's a Christian, kind of hope. Can something be different? Is there a God? Is following Jesus? Does that help? Is it true? Is it real? Is it all of this? I hope. Maybe things can be different. And then someone's not wholehearted. Someone's just settled. And what does that tell them? Just like everybody else. Grab a new philosophy. Hey, I'm a Christian guy. What you? You're kind of this type of guy. You're kind of that type of guy. It's no big deal. No big deal. And so that hope is deferred. There's nothing in here. And that's why Jesus is hurts Because we are supposed to make a difference. We are supposed to give people hope. Something I've found true over and over again, I am either somebody's inspiration or somebody's excuse. My life. I either inspire them to be more faithful, to, to love, to do things like that, or I, someone looks at me and goes, well, at least I don't have to do stuff because he's not. 
Mm. I'm someone's excuse. I don't want to insult you guys. I don't want to insult people out there. But Sheridan, people will see all the fault. Let them see it. That's part of the glory. And see, why is it that I keep putting my whole heart into effort, into focus? That people will notice too. Why is it that we cheer at these underdog movies? The guy or the girl that's up against it, it's overpowering forces, they can't do it, but they still go. And you say, yeah, wholeheartedness, boiling point, that's the stuff I want to be. You see movies where someone just settles, there's nothing inspiring about that. Nothing at all. That's why they don't make those movies, right? It's that wholeheartedness. That's why it's a big deal. That's why. So, where does this need to be applied? What are the areas of which we need to be boiling hot and not lukewarm? Let me talk to the married folks in here. What type of husband are you? What type of wife are you? If you go off into, well, I'm not perfect, don't, don't even go to that excuse. Don't even go there. Think more highly of yourself than you ought than to go to that excuse. I just want to be your brother in Christ here. I'm not, I mean, I, I can make Deb so mad that if she looks forward to the Lord's coming with a deeper fervor, you know, she tries not to look forward to Judgment Day hoping I'm going to get my own. She wants the mercy to be there. But, you know, seriously, nobody has ever made her as angry as me. Angry. Disappointed. Hope deferred. You know? Devastation. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? Well, I can say, too bad. Life's not fair. Or I can look at, is there something I need to change? Is there something? But it's not to make her happy. It's to be who God wants me to be. If I try and live to make her happy, guess what? We're going to do it. We're going to get a lot more fights, all right? It's going to be blood. You know why? Because one sinner is trying to please another sinner, and you just have a bunch of sin. That's what happens. But if for some reason I say, God, who do you want me to be? And I will be boiling point there. And I'm not going to wait for her to get her act together. It's about me. It's about me. Let the Spirit talk to your heart. It's about you here. We'll help get everyone else. But not right now, if you don't start with you, there's no hope. Husbands, who are you going to be? The husband God called you to be or the husband you're just going to settle to be? Wives, who are you going to be? The wife God calls you to be or the wife you settle to be? It's your choice. It's your choice. You're weak. You're all that. All that's an excuse. What's your decision? Wholeheartedness or not? Parents, who are you going to be? Moms, dads, who are you going to be? you going to be the dad that God wants you to be? Are you going to be the dad you're going to settle to be? You want to be the mom, God, or the mom you settled to be? Who is it? What is it? We need some boiling point here. We need something to go on and happen. Let's talk about follow-up. Those that become Christians. And if you became a Christian, you didn't finish anything. That's right. You just started. 
Baptism was the starting gate. It was a pistol sounding. And you're in the race. All of the focus and effort you went into learning what you need to do to become a Christian, now it gets multiplied to how you run to win. And how you do it. And disciples, if you've been studying with somebody, they get baptized, oh, it's just the beginning. Don't us dare leave anybody. We get with them and we study because why? Jesus said, teach them to obey what I've commanded you. Guess what? They've not had a lifetime of obeying what he's commanded. Do you think water's going to change that? Yeah, they'll have the Holy Spirit. But they need somebody to teach them how to obey. Where is that follower? Where is that boiling point? What about our personal lives? What about our personal lives? Lukewarm? Boiling. Where are we? I want you guys to think about any area in your life. I want you to think about your commitment to the body of Christ, too. You know something? We're trying to build something here. You know why? Because it's a neat thing for any church to build something. Let's have programs. Let's do that. I'm not interested in doing that for programs' sake. Ephesians tell me that we're supposed to be built together into a holy temple. Fellowship, instruction, time together. That's supposed to happen. Now we can talk about different ways that can happen. Question. What's your wholeheartedness in being involved here? Anybody can take cracker and grape juice. Doesn't mean anything. Unless there's boiling involved. Unless it's wholehearted. What is it? What's the importance? I'm not saying, well, you know, I build, I build. Picture this. Picture a carpenter and electrician. You have hired them to build your house. And so, they're supposed to be there on Monday. They don't show up. They're not there Tuesday. They're not there Wednesday. Thursday, they kind of come. One of them comes. And you're kind of like, what's the deal? I hired you to do carpentry, to start building. I hired you to do wiring, to electricity. I'm trying to build my house. Hey, man, get out of my face. I did carpentry. I did electricity. I wired that. Really? Where? I did it over to this other house. <laughs> so don't tell me that I haven't been doing carpentry. Don't tell me I haven't been wiring and being an electrician. Don't tell me. You know what? We would just laugh at the person. <laughs> Say, you know what? Well, I'm glad you did your carpentry and electricity. I hired you to do it here. <laughs> right here on this house. The issue is not, hey, am I, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? What are you doing here to build? That is the issue. What are you involved in here? What type of talks you have with one another here to help their faith? Here to help their love? Here to help their hope? What are you doing? Well, people have disappointed me. Oh, just wait for the future. <laughs> We're getting warmed up. I guarantee you, the more we try to do something, the more it's going to mess up. But if by chance we happen to have the forgiveness of Christ, the love of God in our heart, the honesty and integrity to speak to each other and be committed to each other, you know what might happen? God might actually build. 
because that's his intention. But it takes boiling for that to happen. Settling has never accomplished anything in any area in the history of mankind. It's going to take boiling. I want the singers to come forward. They're going to lead us in a closing song here. And while they're doing that, I have one other thing I wanted to read. You know, sometimes people kid, well, that, that's not really been a uh, the Lord is my shepherd type message, has it? You know, when Jesus taught the Laodicean church, there wasn't a whole lot he could say. Except, be earnest and repent. I stand at the door. I'm knocking. I want to come in and eat with you. And if you open that door, you will reign with me. You will. I will be with you and you will be with me forever. He was nauseated about lukewarmness, but he wasn't hopeless. He knew that we could change. We could choose to do it, and he always gave us a way. But you know, we've got to see it as a necessary choice. I want to close by reading, uh, this is a book I use, What Christ Thinks of the Church, an Exposition of Revelation 1-3 through by John R.W. Stott, an evangelical writer who was from a fellowship that traditionally is not one that preaches the word calling people to come to a big decision right now. You know? Uh, so, the idea of saying this is the way it is, period, was not really always in this tradition. But I want you to hear how he closes the exposition here on what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea. Here then is the great alternative which confronts every thoughtful person. To be half-hearted, complacent, and only casually interested in the things of God is to prove oneself not a Christian at all, and to be so distasteful to Christ as to be in danger of vehement rejection. But to be wholehearted in one's devotion to Christ, having opened the door and submitted without reserve to Him, is to be given the privilege both of supping with Him on earth and of reigning with Him in heaven. Here is a choice we cannot avoid. Let he with ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to Staten Island Church. We're going to stand. Hassan is going to lead us in a prayer, and we will close out with a song.